We are in 1 Samuel in the church, and we've been looking at, specifically, the judge to come, Samuel. And Samuel has been kind of introduced to us, how the Lord has called Samuel, and that Samuel is a bright light in Israel's dark time. But we're going to look at a place, we're going to press pause on Samuel, and we're going to take a 10,000 foot view of all the people of Israel in 1 Samuel 4. It connects back to Samuel, but today, in order to do that, I want to do a brief review of the Hebrews and just kind of where they're at in this story. First off, the Hebrews now have their own land, and that's a big deal because earlier in the Scriptures we learned that they were slaves and they were wanderers. But God had taken them out of Egypt and done miraculous things, brought them through the desert. They disobeyed. He made them wonder, but then he gave them the promised land that they now are in today. So these Hebrews have a promised land because of what God has done. At the same time, this promised land has a lot of good things. It's got a trade route right around the border. And of course, other countries are interested in gaining access to that trade route. One in particular was constantly an enemy to the Hebrews, and that was the Philistines. We even hear more about the Philistines later with David and Goliath. That's a Philistine army that is with Goliath. But today we're going to look at one of the first skirmishes, one of the first battles with the Philistines who are trying to take over a trade route that's right on the border of Israel. And God has his way with that. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's word, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 4, starting in verse 2. There's two parts. The first part is the battle. And the second part is the response to the battle from God's people. So start with me in 1 Samuel verse 2. The word of God says, The Philistines drew up in line against Israel. And when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and to save us from the power of the enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. As soon as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid. For they said, A God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing has happened before. Woe to us. Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. And they fled, every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter, for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell, and the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. 
Then the response, a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn with dirt on his head. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on a seat by the road watching for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, What is this uproar? Then the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, How did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. And there has also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel forty years. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant, about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman attending her said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer or pay attention. And named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God has been captured, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of His Word. I've recently started the difficult trial of trying to buy a house. And if any of you have ever done that before, you know that's a stressful experience because it's one of the biggest purchases you'll ever make. And uh, for me, I'm wrestling through so many different things right now when I'm trying to buy this house. First, my salary. Okay, I'm a teacher, and that only allots me a certain amount of money to buy a house with. And then I have to think about the other things that, that will come with it, like what size do I want? If I want to get a bigger house, i get to get something foreclosed that I can build up and try to fix. Do I want to spend that time, or do I want to move right in? Is it going to resell in five years, ten years, whatever it may be? Will it resell? Will I be able to get my profit back? And finally, if you find a house, you have to deal with the seller. Are they going to compromise at all and come to a price that you can both agree is worth it? And I'm going to tell you, in truth, that has been exhausting for me in the last few weeks. I've been bothered, distracted by it constantly, so much so that when I wake up in the morning, I'm thinking about it. And I don't do the usual rituals that I do for the Lord in the morning time. I, don't read, I haven't been reading my Bible in my devotional time like I had hoped I would because I'm being distracted. I haven't been praying with my wife at night because I'm distracted. I haven't been continuing to memorize the whole Old Testament. I'm just kidding. I don't do that. That'd be tough. Leviticus. Um, but no, I, I'm distracted. I'm wrestling through these things. And, and then I have this moment. You guys might be able to relate where I'm like, oh, I know what the problem is. I know why I'm so stressed. I remember the time when I used to read my Bible every day. And that's what I need to do. So I go straight and I start reading my Bible. The next morning I get up, I'm ready to go. 
start reading, and sure enough, when I'm done, I realize God's not here. I'm like, hey, you know, big man, I just, I just read your book. You're supposed to bless me now. I don't say it. I don't, I'm not irreverent to the Lord like that in that moment, but I'm thinking it. I'm wondering, where is he? I just read the Bible. It's frustrating, but, you know, relationships with people don't work that way. Imagine if you'd been uh, an enemy like the Israelites had been for years and years. Uh, imagine if you had been in a bad, difficult time with your spouse, or maybe you had had a, a tough experience with a friend, and for a long time you guys have not gotten along. And then one day you realize, gosh, I need something, and this person can help me. And so you do something nice. Maybe you, you do a chore around the house that your wife's been asking you to do. Or, or maybe you're just really nice to your friend. Take them out and hang out with them a little bit. And they're like, why are you doing this? And then you say, well, actually, I need something from you. That's not going to work. But yet, I can struggle sometimes to actually have the audacity to go to God and to do something. And after I do it, with high-pressure stakes, say, I've done this. Where are you at? I wonder if some of you are like this. If you want something and you expect him to give it to us, if we do what we believe is right, like reading our Bible or praying or coming to church, maybe, I bet you get caught up sometimes like that with God. Maybe you do something, maybe you have devotions for a whole week expecting that to bless you, but then it's quiet. Maybe you pray before your meal Expecting God to give you some help and then your car breaks down. Maybe you're like me and, and you come to church and sometimes you come to church one day and, and so far so nothing. You feel like you're not getting back any return with some of the rituals that you're doing for the Lord. Maybe you're asking, how come my rituals aren't giving me relationship with God right now? And you think back, I remember the time when things were humming and I was doing well with the Lord and I was doing these rituals and they were working, it seemed. What's different? Do you ever want something so badly that you do a godly thing in hopes that the big man will be on your side? you ever wonder why it seems hard in the times where you follow your rituals for the Lord and yet there's no blessing? Well, today in the text, we get to see what God says about that. What God says about seeking Him through rituals. And so let's take another look. First we'll look at the ritual of bringing the ark. Okay, back in the text, the Israelites had already suffered defeat one time by losing 4,000 men. They run to their elders and they say, Why has the Lord defeated us? They have a great mindset right there. The Lord, nothing happens outside of His eye. He is always aware why has the Lord defeated us? But then they jump straight to the ritual. Let us bring the ark. And I'm sure they thought about the time when Joshua brought the ark. Joshua was a successor of Moses. And at the time of Joshua was when God promised them land and Joshua took them into the promised land and defeated army after army. And all the way, they had the ark of the covenant with them. And so they're thinking, Joshua... He brought the ark with them, and every time the ark came, a whooping followed. So we need to go get the ark. So let me give you a little archaeology here. All right, first off, the ark is about three feet and three quarters long. 
It's about two and a quarter wide and deep. So if you think about it, you couldn't really fit a person in it, just with the size. But what was in it was the, the copy of the Ten Commandments, the way that God was calling and, and seeking to govern them. Also, usually the Ark of the Covenant was in a special place. It had to be covered by a veil, and it was put in a place called the Holy of Holies. And in this time, it was in a place called Shiloh. And what we learn from this text, when the ark is captured, it never goes back to Shiloh. It will end uh, moving into Jerusalem later on. But that's where it's normally at. It's in the holy of holies place. And you couldn't go back there unless you were the high priest. It also was present in the major victories that I mentioned earlier, like Joshua. When they took the ark, the Jordan River split. They were able to move through it. And then Joshua fought the battle of Jericho with his people. They banged pots together, and God served up the enemy. And the ark was right there. So they're thinking to themselves, if we bring the ark, man, we're going to win. God's going to have to give us victory. He's done it before that way. He's going to do it again. This time, the ritual was to be performed. It had to be carried by Levites, and the Levites of the time were Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And we look and we think, "Uh uh-oh, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, God had just promised through Samuel to Eli, the the judge, he said, your sons are going to be wiped out, and it's going to happen soon. And here they are, thinking their rituals are going to lead them to victory. But they fail. It's actually leading them to a battle where they will lose their life. They hoped the ritual would work because it worked for Joshua, but something that they forgot is that Joshua had a relationship with God that called them to take the ark with them, that guided them to take the ark. God was telling them, take the ark. They didn't ask for God here. They didn't have that relationship with him in this moment. They're trying to put rituals before relationship. They wanted their ritual to fix their relationship with God. And it seemed promising at first. They take the ark in, and sure enough, you have two responses. You have the Israelites who are going nuts. They're excited. The earth is trembling because they're so excited the ark has come. Guaranteed victory. And of course, on the other side, you have the Philistines saying, what is going on? I mean, we just just defeated them in a battle, and they are shouting out what is going on and they find out that the ark is there and they say the gods plural because they don't know the one true God they say the gods of Israel are here the ones that took care of the Egyptians in the wilderness oh no but their lack of religion only took them so far they had a pep talk and they say let's go back and let's fight them let's be men and fight and they in fact succeed the ritual failed It did not fix Israel's relationship with God. God would not be pressured into producing a victory for them. So, as I've said, ritual didn't fix their relationship with God. Ritual, in some cases, in this passage we see, didn't only fail, it ended up to be the end of some of these people. So let's look at a few that passed. First, we see... First we see the sons, Hophni and Phinehas, already the promise from God. Sometimes the promises of God are hard to hear. But the God had promised that he was going to wipe out the seed of Eli. He was going to wipe them out. And they were not going to have any honor in their family. And so Hophni and Phinehas go up 
And they believed that their ritual was going to work, but it led them right into their death. They carried it in, and they were carried out. They did not survive the battle because they went in thinking that they were, they were the high priest. Who could hurt them? Okay, it's, it's, not, it's against ritual to kill a high priest. It's against ritual to kill the priests who carry the ark, but yet they die because they trusted in ritual over their relationship with God because they had already been wicked. They had already been lying. They had already been adulterous. These men were not honorable to the Lord, and that's why he put them to death. The second person who struggled with ritual was Eli. We hear when he comes into the picture, Eli was the judge of Israel, the high priest, and he's sitting at the gate waiting and his heart is trembling for the ark. He's the one who let the ark go. He's got to give the okay. And he hoped when they carried that ark out that that ritual would bring them victory. And so he's trembling and he, when he finds out, he falls over, breaks his neck and dies because his hope was in the ark. His hope was in the ritual of the ark representing God more than it was in the exact relationship that Israel had with God. And the last one I want to zero in and focus on is Eli's daughter-in-law, okay, the one who was married to Phineas. She hears the news. And what happens to her, I want to highlight because she, she says something and, and she just misses it. What ends up happening is she hears it and the sheer bad news of her husband dying her father-in-law dying, and most important, the Ark of the Covenant being captured, it induces labor. She has a child. They try to cheer her up. You have a son. Be happy. Her face does not rise. It's, she is very sad, and she actually names the son Ichabod, which means where has the glory gone? And it says in verse 22, the glory has departed from Israel. She says, for the Ark has been captured. She thinks the glory of God had parted because the ark had been captured. What she was wrong in two ways. One, she was wrong in the fact that Israel's relationship with God had already far been gone. They had not wrestled with the Lord well. For years, for decades, they were wrestling with ritual, but not with the Lord and seeking a relationship with Him. So the glory didn't depart with the ark. God had already moved Himself because Israel was not bowing and seeking relationship. They were seeking ritual. The second thing she was wrong about is the sense that she lost hope. She, her hope, her, her, her body even was broken because of a broken relationship with God. But she thought with the ark leaving that the ark and God would never return. She obviously lost all hope. She didn't remember she didn't remember things in the past. She, did, she had been relying on rituals and what Israel had been doing. She wasn't relying on the stories of God and what He had done and trusting Him and having a relationship with Him. She did not remind herself about the Hebrews crying out many years before in Egypt and that God did redeem them. He heard their cry and He brought them out of Egypt and He split the Red Sea. She didn't remember the fact that they were wandering in the desert, her, her people were wandering in the desert for 40 years, but yet God shows up and gives them the promised land with amazing victories. She didn't think about the promise that Adam and Eve gave that they had said in Genesis 3.15 that there was hope for us all in an offspring of Eve. And we know that's Jesus Christ who would one day crush the evil one's head. She had lost all hope. 
because she had put all her hope in ritual and not in relationship with God. Because Eli's daughter-in-law put her hope in the ritual of seeking God through the Ark of the Covenant, she did not repent and see her need for relationship with God to fix her rituals. Relationship with God does fix your rituals. Let me give you a couple of examples. One is David in the Old Testament. He's the great king of Israel, and we'll hear more about him later. But he is doing very well, and at one point he falls. And when he falls, he decides to cover it up and to lie about it and to just continue to do the rituals of being a king of Israel. And God has to use a prophet to come and to call him out because the rituals weren't fixing his relationship with God. As soon as he was called out, he repented. And we see the wonderful psalm, Psalm 51, where he looks and he knows that rituals aren't going to do it at this point. He's got to reestablish relationship with God by repentance. He says, God, I know that you would not, you, you wouldn't want sacrifices. You don't want offerings. What you desire is a broken and a contrite heart. And he, and he would go on and say, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He wants relationship. And it fixes his rituals. He gets relationship. God calls him a man after his own heart after this fact because he seeks relationship with God and that moves him back into the rituals correctly. Another example is a New Testament example, Paul. Okay, Paul was first known as the guy who would go and, and go after Christians and try to stop the followers of the way is what they were called. And he would try to stop them from saying Jesus' name, stop them from spreading Jesus' name. And Jesus himself illuminates literally and shows himself to Paul and says, you're wrong. Your rituals, the rituals that Paul was practicing was the old rituals of the Pharisees. And he says, you're, you're wrong. These rituals will not give you relationship. I will give you relationship with God. Know my relationship and you will know God. And these rituals did change for Paul. He didn't give up reading Old Testament scriptures. Many times in his letters, he would ask for the parchments to be sent. He would beg some of his couriers to bring the parchments. He continued to read. He continued to spread the word about God, but he started to spread the word of Jesus. His relationship with God fixed his rituals. So, how about you? Are you trying to earn God's favor with rituals? The ritual of coming to church, maybe it doesn't fix your relationship with God. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while and you feel quite dry. And maybe it's because you're seeking the Lord and it's just that time. Or maybe you haven't been seeking the Lord. You've just been seeking to do the ritual of coming to church. Maybe you've got the ritual of reading your Bible, but it's been real dry because you're not seeking the Lord in relationship. Maybe you're hoping that having the right pastor will fix your relationship with God. Maybe you're praying at the dinner table to think that'll fix it. But unlike the Israelites who asked why the Lord seems to be against us. And then they go straight into a ritual. Let us answer with repentance and restore the relationship. Unlike them who said, why has the Lord been against us? And then go straight into ritual. Let us be those who repent and go into relationship. Rituals don't fix our relationship with God. Our relationship with God will fix our rituals. Notice I didn't say relationship makes rituals unnecessary. 
No, you show me a Christian that doesn't read their Bible, I'll show you someone that's struggling to know him, and when the winds come, their roots are light and they will fall. Rituals are important, but what comes first? That's the point. Relationship comes first, then the rituals. Relationship comes before we trust in what God is telling us will bring us life and more life. We have to see His life first. So what comes first is the Hebrews had left relationship behind a long time ago. But they were holding on to the rituals, and that was their major mistake. Relationship comes first. Repentance and in the middle of our struggle comes first. Then reading the Bible. Remember what I said at the beginning when I was trying to just get a blessing from God. Can we just close on a house, Lord? Maybe if I read my Bible, He'll kind of bless me. Well, it's not that that was wrong, but it's I did the wrong thing first. I should have went to that time before I came up upon the Scripture and I should have said, all right, God, I need to be honest with you. Lord, I want this house so much more right now than I want time with you. I'm, I'm forcing myself to get here. I want comfort now more than I want eternal comfort. I'm struggling. I need you. Oh, I need you to show up. I'm not right. How much more would my time in the Bible be if I go with that kind of prayer, seeking relationship with Him first? You see, we have a full knowledge of something that the God's people did not have back then. They, as I told you about the ark, one of the things that they did on the ark is they would sprinkle innocent blood of an animal on the top of, on the lid of the ark. And it was supposed to give them forgiveness of sins. And God said, do this as a ritual. But we don't have to do that because we don't have to sprinkle blood on the lid of God's furniture. We see that Jesus shed His blood for our sins. He gave us an opportunity to seek relationship with God. Without Christ, we have no opportunity for a relationship with the Lord. But with Christ, we can repent. Repent daily and seek the Lord and we will be found. So I want us to do something here. May we all understand that relationship fixes our rituals and not the other way around. I want to encourage you to try something tomorrow. Okay, This is a challenge. Try this tomorrow. Before you go into your next ritual that you do, if you pray on a regular basis, if you read your Bible on a regular basis, just ask God, how are we doing, Lord? And listen. Just take a moment and ask that question to seek that relationship. So, the last thing, what would happen? Just what would happen if we became more like those who would seek relationship with God before rituals? What would happen if we asked the question, how is our relationship, Lord, before we read our Bible? Every time we sought to know where the Lord was at, where we were at in relationship with Him, what would happen if the members of Redeemer would honestly wrestle with where we're at as a church with the Lord before we go out and serve the community? That we honestly ask that question, would things change? Where would we be if Indian Trail, if we were seeking to bless Indian Trail by doing that? Where would we be as a country of Christians everywhere were saying, Lord, we want relationship with you and let that spark our rituals, let that spark our time in the Word, let that spark our time in prayer? Where would we be? So I want to challenge you to do something. If you, if you could, try to think about a word picture of where you feel like your relationship is with the Lord at this time. 
Okay, here's an example. This is probably where I'd say I, I feel like the Lord's at in my life. I feel like a little kid that's learned to ride his bike, and the Father, my Father, the Lord, is behind me. He kind of is letting me go. I don't feel like He's right there. But I'm seeking a relationship with Him, and so as I'm going, I hear Him saying, Trust me, Trent. I've protected you in the past, and I'll protect you now. Just trust me. But that's where I feel like I am right now with the Lord, and it changes. Okay, God's Word never changes. His promises are sure. But our feelings and how we're doing and our relationship with the Lord and our acknowledging where He's at in our lives does change. So, I want you to do this, and we're wrapping up right here. We're about to start the ritual of singing after the sermon. And before we sing, holy, 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 because He is... I want you to close your eyes. And as the worship team comes up, I want you to think about a few questions. So everyone close your eyes. I want you to answer the question with your eyes closed. How are you really doing? Not with rituals, but how close do you feel to God? How clear has His guidance been to you lately? And be honest. How do you need Him to show up? If you happen to be here and you don't know God, what's holding you back from embracing Him? What is that thing? I want you to pray to God that relationship with Him might precede rituals with Him this week. Ask the question, how are you doing in your relationship with God right now? Speak to Him and then Eric will lead us in song.